excited about church. He just couldn't stop talking about it. He said, Mom, I had such an amazing time at church tonight. He says, I sure wish Jesus could have been there. And I wonder how many times we're satisfied going through our ministry life absent of the presence of God. That's what I want to talk about for a few minutes here. If you've got Exodus chapter 33, I want to go to uh, verse number 11 of Exodus chapter 33. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou also hast found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now the way that I may know thee, and that I might find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence, for wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth? And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Father, I pray you'd help us in the next few moments here. Challenge us anew from your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We know the Israelites have been slaves in the land of Egypt for 400 years. As time went on, they multiplied in great number. So the decree went out that if a girl was born, then she could be saved. But if it was a boy, he was to be killed. In the middle of all this, Amram and Jochebed found out they were expecting. And they knew that if, he was a, if it was a girl, it would be just fine. But if it was a boy, uh, he would be born with a death sentence. They did have a child. And to their great consternation, it was a boy. This was before the days that you waited a couple of years until the child chose his own gender. They saw what it was when it was born like it should be. A boy is a boy and a girl is a girl. Amen. There was a stage, I have to admit, this was a shock to my people, but uh, there was a stage in my life that I was a male trapped in a female body. Uh, struggled with that for a while. I don't talk about it much, but yeah, nine months. I, of course, then I was born. <laughs> Uh, I'll do the jokes if you just listen, <laughs> if you don't mind listening and just, yeah. That way we can do the timing right, okay? They had a boy. They hid him from the authorities because sometimes governments can overreach, shock of all shocks. And through a series of events, Mo Moses, we know the story, is adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and raised in the palace. When, what, what, and then... His mother is hired to raise him. So where the government would consider Jochebed a criminal for keeping Moses alive is now paying her to raise him. Only God can do that. There's perhaps no greater servant of God in the Bible than the man Moses. He accumulated an enormous amount of relationship equity with God. And the Lord spake unto Moses, verse 11, face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. There are many back and forth conversations in the Bible between God and Moses, and they're quite remarkable. In fact, if you go back one chapter to chapter 32 and verse 7, and while you turn there if you want to, uh, going throughout the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament, God calls Israel his people. If my people which are called by my name... And then he said in Exodus 3, 7, I surely have seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. So now here in Exodus 32, they have made a golden calf and they're worshiping it. 
And the Lord, look at verse 7, And the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee down for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Thy people. That's hilarious. Because we do that, don't we? If our child makes a touchdown, our son makes a touchdown, or they get uh, straight A's on the report card, that's my son. If they're playing uh, the drum set for four hours in the house, we tell our mate, your son is driving me crazy. We do that throughout our life. God says, your people, they've messed up. It doesn't end there, because look at verse 11. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people? They're not my people, they're your people. No, 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 they're not my people, they're your people. I think this is hilarious, it's a riot. Because we're talking here about a tremendous relationship that Moses and God had. It all started in Exodus chapter 3 where uh, we had the bush burning encounter with God and at this time he was a fugitive because he had uh, killed an Egyptian man and that came from an outpouring of a battle in his heart. He was growing up in a culture in Egypt knowing all the while they were not who he was. Now he's on a run. I think it's interesting in Moses' life you can split his life up in three stages of 40 years each. He lived to be 120 and uh, 120 divided by three is... Uh, 40. Amen. Homeschool math at work right there. Amen. Goodest thing that ever happened to me. Uh, learning to be, uh, he spent 40 years in the, in the palace learning to be somebody. Then he spent 40 years on the backside of the desert learning to be nobody. And then he spent 40 years seeing what God can do with a nobody who'll just give himself to him. Don't ever think because you're a nobody or you have little talent or uh, little abilities, God can't use you. And so hit the burning bush, God put his calling on Moses. He says, I want you to go back to the scene of the crime. I want, to, want you to go back where you messed up. But you're not going back as a fugitive. You're going back as my leader. And he alone, God alone can do that. He alone can take something so bad and turn it around to make it good. He can send you back to your problem and make it a breakthrough of victory in your life. I love that about God. Losers yearn for the past and get stuck in it. Winners learn from the past and let it go. We have a choice to allow our past battles to, uh, to build defeat and discouragement in our lives or we can build a stinking bridge and get over it and move on for God in our life. And so Moses goes back. And through a series of events, about three million people, give or take, come out of Egypt. They got to the Red Sea. It splits and they walk across on dry ground. This was an amazing feat. The opening of the Red Sea, I'm told, had to be about three miles wide to accommodate that many people walking through all in one night. And so they go through the wilderness and God provides for them supernaturally. Can you imagine having to feed that many people in the desert? Somebody did the math, said it would take 2,000 tons of food every day. That's two freight trains a mile long each. They needed 11 million gallons of water each day. Every day they needed a campground two-thirds the size of Rhode Island. And yet God takes care of them, miraculously. He leaves manna on the ground every morning. Can you imagine getting up in the morning and, and your food's laid out on the ground before you? It's the first time we see a mention of Krispy Kreme donuts in the Bible. And he gives them water out of a rock to quench their thirst. And I say all this to say that this is a man that experienced the power of God. 
Over and over again, it was demonstrated to Moses that God was with him. He was there in the pillar of the cloud. He was there in the fire, Exodus chapter 13, 21. He went so far to uh, tell us in, in verse 9 here in our chapter, the cloudy pillar entered the tabernacle and Moses went there to pray. It says in verse 10 that people would stand outside and see this interaction. God literally spoke with Moses face to face as a friend. Deuteronomy 34, 10, And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. That's an anthropomorphic term uh, using human characteristics to describe what we may not comprehend. Th but understand this, that Moses was unique in this way. He was special because, and by the way, God tells us that himself in Numbers chapter 12. He said, hear now my words, if there be a prophet among you, the Lord will make himself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him I will speak mouth to mouth and not in dark speeches. This is not true of all the other prophets. You read Ezekiel lately? Ezekiel. Uh, he did not speak to Ezekiel face to face and mouth to mouth. Ezekiel, what did you see? Have you read that lately? I saw a wheel in the middle of a whirlwind. There were some creatures there. Each had four faces and four wings connected, and under those wings were the hands of a man, and they each had a calf's foot. Doubt me, read Ezekiel chapter 1. Thanks, Ezekiel, that helps, amen? Maybe I'll go back to my proverb a day. But when God talks to others, it's in visions and dreams, but to Moses, it's face to face. With Moses, your people, I'm going to kill them. No, 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 you can't kill your people. Back and forth. He talked to him face to face. Think of the privilege that Moses had. This is why Exodus 33 intrigues me a little. As I read through this, we see that with all that he had... Moses didn't seem satisfied. If you look at verse 3, you'll see why. He had just said uh, that he'll drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, all the other ites, and uh, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of thee. Uh-oh, without a stiff-necked people. God stated the reason because that it was necessary to remove his presence. He said, lest I consume thee in a way. The primary reason for the loss of God's presence was the sin of idolatry because they were a stiff-necked people. This means to habitually uh, rebe be rebellious and likely to sin again. Their future sin with God would be worse if he was in their midst than if he were at a distance. This is a principle here. The greater our spiritual privilege, the greater the consequence when we fail. Luke 12, 48, for unto whomsoever much is given, much is required. That's why we as pastors, as leaders of people, it is all the more important that we have a tight relationship with God, that we don't allow sin in our life. But no worry. God said, don't worry about it. I've got a replacement for this loss of my presence. He said in verse 2, I will send an angel before thee. Instead of God's presence, an angel would be sent to accompany them. Now, it seems like a blessing to have an angel accompany you somewhere, doesn't it? But if the angel is replacing God, it's not a blessing. It's the second best. And there's no substitute for God. No one should, should settle for second best of anything in the spiritual realm. And never live in such a way that anything replaces God in your life. Well, we live in a day where we have willingly replaced God with many inferior devices, whether it be people, things, or even angels. Nothing replaces the blessing and, and privilege of his presence. With what I have to say next, it can get a little fuse, uh, confusing, so I'm going to use a sign. God was promising them 
all kinds of presents. He was, they hadn't had a land. And now he's not only given them a land, he's given them a good one. Given them a land flowing with milk and honey. He's given them all these things that they can call their own. But God says, I will not go up in the midst of thee. So they will have his presence, but they will not have his presence. They, he uh, will give them all the good things in their life, but he will not be there with him. And it's a crying shame today, friends, that we value the presence in our life more than we value God's presence in our life. Moses said, I would rather have your presence than your presence. And uh, your presence don't mean anything, God, without your presence. And when the people heard these evil tidings in verse 4, they mourned. They were wise to mourn. They were going to a land flowing with milk and honey. They would be victorious over the inhabitants of the land, but the news did not keep them from mourning. Why? Because you can have many things in this life, uh, but it will, be, it will mean nothing, my friend, without the presence of God in your life. An angel was no compensation for the loss of God's presence. Great material blessings are no uh, compensation either. The Israelites mourned even though their material presence were still intact. Let me ask you this. How many of us would mourn if everything was going the way we wanted it to, but God wasn't there? This is the same message Christ gave in Mark 8, 36. What shall I profit a man? He gained the whole world and lose his own soul. Israel may gain Canaan, it's all its riches and its powerful military, uh, become a powerful military country, but it's no consolation for the loss of God's presence. Would that our generation would recognize this truth. We are loaded with possessions and things and devices and resources. We have all kinds of presence in our life. And we're missing the presence of God in so many of our ministries. In fact, Moses said, if you're not going, I'm not going either. Actually, let's stay true to the text here in order, just to look at the chronology of this conversation. God said in verse 3, I'm not going. Moses said in verses 12 to 13, you said you wanted me to bring up the people, take the land. Who's going to go with us then? You told me that I know you by name. You told me that I find grace in your sight. You told me that we're your people. Now you're not going with us? God said, this is hysterical. Anybody who reads the Bible doesn't find it interesting. You just look at the chronology of this. It's, it's, it's really quite humorous. You ever been in a conversation with somebody? You're talking so fast and so much passion, you don't hear what they say. Okay, this is what happens here. Uh, God's saying, uh, Moses, you're not going to go with us? So God says in verse 14, all right, I'll go with you. And didn't even phase Moses. Moses keeps talking. If you're not going, I'm not going either. How are people going to know that you're our God and you, we are your people? You made all these promises and now you say you're not going? Are we to be separated? Hey, God, we're a great people and I know why we're blessed. We're not blessed because I'm a great leader. We're not blessed because we're special. We're blessed because of you. We're blessed because you are a part of our life. Your presence is with us and now you're not going? By the way, this is the right attitude. This is the attitude that Moses, he was consumed with a burning passion that I don't care if I inherit everything. I don't care if I get all that we want. We're nothing without you there. If there's ever a place that God would smile, I think it would have to be here. How would you feel 
How many of you have sons? How would you feel if your son came to you? Dad, I don't care about the Xbox. I don't care about the car. I don't care about stuff in our life. I just love you. I don't care if we're poor. I don't care if we're rich. I just want you. I want to be with you. We would, that would make us smile after we woke up from our shock-induced coma. Amen? The scene begs a question for you and I in ministry today. Probably God has blessed you with some abilities. If you're like Brother Haley and Brother Hoiseth have blessed you with good looks too, right? Amen. You have a degree. You have uh, ordination papers maybe where good men attach their name to you. You've been blessed with the confidence of people who look to you for leadership. I'm simply saying you've got a lot of presence, a lot of good things in your life, a lot of things going for you. But here's the problem that's so dangerous in ministry. It's so easy for us to put our stock and into the presence, into the things, into our abilities, into our talents that God's given us. And it's so easy to rest on our laurels knowing what God has given us, so much so that we end up like Samson who wist not that the glory of the Lord was departed from him. That's a scary verse, isn't it? I'm asking you today, what is your burning passion in ministry? Is it the presence of God or the presence of God? What are you after? Our churches do not need more talent. Our churches don't need more slick ability. What our churches are in desperate need today for is men of God endued with the power of God. I tell you today, the presence of God, that's what we need in our churches and in our pulpits. Programs are helpful. I like programs. Uh, slick presentations are nice, but they do not for a minute replace the presence of God. Moses pursued God in a way that we should every day of our life. He was a man with all these experiences of God, yet he did not become familiar with them, uh, with these experiences. He says, hey, I just want to know you more. That's why he says in verse 18, God, show me your glory. I want to know more of you. I'm hungry for you. I'm not satisfied with where I am now. I want to grow in my relationship with you. Listen, friends, if we desire growth in our life, it'll always come from a dissatisfaction of our current state. We cannot ever become complacent in our relationship with God. So what did God do? He honored the request, sort of. We know the story. There's a side effect here to the appeal of Moses in verse 20. He says, if I show you my glory, you'll die. So can't quite do what you're asking. I'll not show you my face, but there's a crevice here behind this rock. If you'll stand there, I'll put my hand over you, and I'll pass by, and you can see my back parts. That's what your Bible says. And uh, I want to show you something interesting, kind of to show the, close the loop in the story of Moses. If you want to go to Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9, <coughs> he got to see, Moses, you see, never got to see the promised land, never got to go in. He got to see it, I shot, sorry, but he didn't get to go in. This is such an interesting thing here. In Mark 9, verse 2, after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John and leadeth them up in a high mountain apart to pray, or, or by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. There appeared unto him Elias, Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Remember, God and Moses have been friends. Now he's in eternity with God. I don't know how this conversation took place, but one day Moses was summoned. We got a place for you to be. Hey, Moses, you remember you asked to see my glory? Remember you wanted to go into the promised land? 
Well, now here's your chance. And here's Moses on Mount Tabor, seeing the full glory of God in the transfigured Son of God, Jesus Christ. Moses finally got to go to the promised land. And he did so in full view of the glory of the Son of God. Moses is on one side. Elijah is on other, the other side. Moses representing the law. Elijah representing the prophets. And Jesus is in the center and represents the fulfillment of it all. He gets to see the glory. Hallelujah. Let me ask you a question today. Are you satisfied? I'm going to make this statement because this would be, if I had to pick the most convicting statement that I came across in all of 2023, this is it. And I had to, uh, before I used it for my people, I had to process it in my own heart. But let me make this statement. You are as close to God right now as you want to be. Just think about that. We complain sometimes, oh, I'm just not... Good a Christian I want to be. I'm not as close to God as I want to be. God said, draw nigh to me, and I'll draw nigh to you. We are as close to God right now as we want to be. He's given you so much. We're so blessed. We have so much of this. We have so much presence. So much given to us. We have just, just materially speaking, we have so much. He's blessed us. But like Moses, do you have a burning desire in your heart and your life for His presence? Is it really to the point that I have the ability to get into the pulpit, I have the knowledge, and I've got my sermon notes, and I'm ready to get up there, but God, I can't go there if you're not with me. I can't do this on my own. I don't even want to go to that place that I've been working toward my whole life. I don't even want to go there if you're not with us. I don't want a substitute. I want you, the presence of God. How important is it to us? What is your consuming desire today? Like Moses, he didn't care if he got everything he wanted. You're not there. I don't want to go. How many of us are willing to step into a pulpit on Sunday and he's not there? How many times are we, do we hold services and people are there, but he's not there? I tell you, friends, we're spinning our wheels if we operate with His presence, but not with His presence. That's what we need. Father, I pray You'd help us. Oh, Lord, help us have a burning desire to have You in our midst. Without You, we can do nothing. You don't only say it in the Bible, Lord. We, we in our core, we know this. We can do nothing without You. I pray, Lord, that You would give us a desire, burning desire, for your presence. And I pray you'd help us now as we go to our next service and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.